We are, uh, during the summer, we are doing a series uh, that's a little different than our normal rhythm, as many of you know. Uh, our normal rhythm is that we, uh, we go through books of the Bible and we kind of walk through what the scriptures are saying uh, to the people of God during that time and that place and then how do we apply it to us now. And for the summer, uh, uh, to get a little break, but also to, to get, hear the convictions of different leaders across um, um, our our city and, and even other places, uh, we're doing kind of a wisdom series where people are kind of looking at areas of, of their of different hot spots that the Lord has put in their hearts and, and seeing what, what God is saying from the scriptures so that we can just gain some of the, uh, the wisdom and insight of, of different pastors and leaders in our community. And then I get an opportunity today to share uh, within this framework. Um, and so what I want to do is I want to read Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse uh, 11 through 16. I'm going to spend some time in prayer. Uh, and then we'll jump right in uh, to hopefully being trained up uh, by Jesus. Okay, guys? The scriptures read in Hebrews 13. If you have a Bible, there's Bibles in, your, in the pews. If you need one, it should be on the screen as well. Um, or it reads, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Verse 13, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Bow your heads with me, family. Lord Jesus, would your word bless your people? Would you allow your truth to sink deep into our hearts? Would you allow us to not settle for the lies of this world, to not settle for the lies that even accompany our flesh? But, Lord, would you empower us right now to take hold of life that is truly life? Would you do that, Jesus? Reveal to us what does it mean when we talk about you and identifying with Christ. Change our lives, Lord, for your honor. Holy Spirit, would you use me to speak the word of God? I confess that my flesh want to do well. I pray I'll be more jealous for your exaltation. And would you allow the people here uh, to just be passionate about wanting to learn more about Christ? And for people here who don't know much about you or playing games or religious, Lord, would you just prick their hearts tonight, today, and to, for them to want uh, to respond to you in the way that you're worth, and that is worship. Would you do that, Jesus? In Christ's name, amen. This text is a, is a very important text in, in my personal journey because it, it asks a lot of questions, right? Uh, think of these questions. What makes you strive for comfort and protection? Like, what, what does it look like, like uh, to, what are your triggers? What triggers you to kind of not, not pour your life out? What triggers you to, to versus just being a giver, becoming a taker? Or, or self-preserver? What are your triggers? What makes you say, man, you know what? I, I know what Christ has for us. I know he died on the cross for us. I know my sins have been paid for by his grace. 
But man, to, and, I, and I know there's a, a radical component to this Christian life that, that God is, he's, he's, he's girding me and he's wanting me to move into, he want, he's wanting me to, to do things and to take risks and to honor him and to preach the gospel. But is there something that hinders you that gets in the way of you just being all out? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like that? Like, man, I, man, I know, man, if there was no barriers, here's, what, here's how it would be for Jesus. But there's this thing, there's that thing that makes me kind of pull back a little bit. And I, I love the Lord, and I kind of preach the gospel when it's, you know, here and there. But, but man, there's something that I know I'm not being that person that God wants me to be. What's your trigger? What holds you back? What holds you back from a clear and consistent expression of your faith to those around you? What holds you back? Right? We are here in this local community. We want people to know Christ. God has saved us. And yet, I know myself, we fall into the sense of sometimes, man, when's the last time I preached the gospel? When's the last time I've, I've taken that risk and been misunderstood? How do we become risk takers? Well, see, in Hebrews 13, if I can give a snapshot real quick of what's going on, it's a book written by this author who who's talking to, obviously, many different individuals. You have Greeks, Jews, Hellenistic Jews, uh, theologians, scholars believe it was mostly Hellenistic Jews to simply mean uh, that it was, it was these, these uh, Jewish people, um, or even uh, or Hellenists in general, Greeks, who, who kind of was, was, was this steep into the culture of, 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 of Greece and, and Rome, and, and, and that's what they were about, but yet God had saved them. And so... They were, they, were, they, were, they were kind of like socially uh, Greek, but yet they had this, this figure Jesus come and, and, and grab them out of that pagan reality. That's kind of what we're dealing with here. People who are, who are, who are now talking about this dead, risen, this dead guy who rose from the dead, which is just hilarious and weird to these very wise Greek people who kind of really pride, prided themselves of being wise, Right? of being too smart for something as weird as worshiping a ghost, <laughs> worshiping, you know, this, this, um, this person I can't see. You couple that with the fact you also had during this time persecution, that, that many individuals were not just ostracized, but actually persecuted even unto death. And so you have throughout the book, it's a, it's a treaty, it's an, it's, it's an exhortation to these Christians to say, even if you walking and pursuing Christ will cost you your life, it is worth it. Even if you die, it is worth for you not to faint back, but to proclaim him. So we get into chapter 13 that's what's going on. These guys understood the Old Testament in this Greek version. Again, these are Hellenists. These are people who, again, remember Alexander the Great had conquered, had conquered the known world and so had kind of like hell, had kind of made the whole world Greek. And so everybody, that was the culture of the day. It was these people. They're walking with God. They're trying to figure out how do I be, how do I be a good Christian? And the author says this, guys. Look what he says in, in verse 11. Remember, these guys are struggling. They're what do I do? How do I do this? How do I be all that I'm supposed to be in Christ? How do I not shrink back? He says in verse 11, the high priest carries the blood of animals in the most holy place as a sin offering. 
but the bodies are burned outside the camp. He gives this sacrificial imagery, right? We see the, the, the sacrificial imagery and what it does, it reminds you, I wish my little, our, uh, our camp was actually here right now. I wish our, our tabernacle. Uh, he, he's talking about the annual day of atonement, right? In the Old, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, the priest could, could use sacrifices, guys, um, as food, except, except sin offerings, right? And on the great day of atonement. But on that day, the sacrifices were actually burned outside the camp. It actually reads in, in Numbers uh, chapter 19, verse 3, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, This is the statute of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the people of Israel to bring you a red heifer without defect, in which there is no blemish, and on which a yoke has never come, and you shall give it to Eleazar, the priest, and it shall be taken outside the camp and slaughtered before him. So what? when it was a sin offering... You took it outside the camp and you burned it up fully. Why is that? Because the camp, remember we talked about this over and over again when we went through the book of Exodus. The camp, right, the tabernacle, that area where the people, the people of God dwelled, that was considered holy and sacred and pure and safe and comfortable, right? This was their identity, if you, you wanted to really get to a Jew, you mess with their identity in the sense of the land, the temple, God's presence. You want to get to a Jew, you mess with those things. You start talking about the tabernacle. I mean, that, that was one of, the, one of the treaties of why they were able to kill Jesus. He, he comes in here and he starts acting like he's God in this place. Hold on. So, so, so the author wants to see it fit to use something that's so dear, this issue of the camp, to make a very important point to you and me. And he says, hey, this is how we did things in verse 11. You guys know this. These animals were burned outside of the camp because the camp is a serious place where the people of God are reminded that they are the people of God and he is their God. Pure, safe, very sacred. Inside, holy. Outside, profane. Hmm. Look at verse 12. Inside, holy. Outside, profane. It says, and so Jesus also, like the animal, right, family? Suffered where? Outside the camp. Do you see what he's trying to, I mean, just pause on that. Think about the radical statement that he's making right there. Outside the city gate to make the people holy through his blood. Wait a minute. You know, I love, I love in the gospels, I love, I love how the Lord does something. This is not even in notes, but I love how throughout the gospels, you you see Jesus always does the thing, the opposite. So you can see that he's other, right? You know, like if you, if you have leprosy and if you touch anybody with leprosy, actually that person becomes dirty, you know, and you know, and you're unclean, right? Well, see, and then Jesus comes on the scene. He's like, actually, I'm kind of different. I'm weird because when anybody touched me, they become holy. Right? Showing you that I don't act like y'all. I'm not you. I make things holy. So it's a beautiful thing. You think, well, anybody else who's talking, being outside the camp, that would be bizarre. But this is Jesus who, when he goes out the camp, actually the camp becomes a different camp. Actually, 
wait a minute, I would propose to you what he's trying to say here is that the presence of God is where the holiness is. That actually, when he leaves the camp, the camp is no longer holy. Guess what's holy now? The profane. The place that was evil, that was dirty, that was messed up, where you wouldn't go. God says, actually, that's where holiness is now. The place you wouldn't even think about becomes actually the dwelling place of God, according to the scriptures. He says, hey, he suffered outside the city gate. Why? To make people holy through his blood. Outside the gate. Check it out. Think about that. He's, that's, a, that's what's so beautiful about that great hill of Golgotha, that he, he goes on that hill and he gets on that cross. And you, you got to understand something. It was, it was horrible that Jesus was on a cross and that was embarrassing and they mutilated him and all that. But there was also a lot of symbolism in that too. Not just his whole bodily mutilation, but the fact that, man, they took him outside Jerusalem. They said, you, that's how profane you are. We're going to take you outside the place. He's outside the gate. What, what does that mean? Not only is he outside of this place where the land was so important, but all that shows is that, oh, guess what? The very people you created, the very people you came to save have rejected you. Rejected by his people, guys. Abused and despised by his own nation. You would think that place would be comfort and security. He's outside the gate, and he does that. Look what it says here. It says, so you, Jesus, he comes out to make the people holy. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But he says, let us. I love this. So he, so he gives, he implores us. Now imagine, he's talking to people who are being persecuted and who can risk death or risk, you know, at, at minimum ostracized, being ostracized. But we know that people were dying during this time to proclaim Christ. Guys, can I say that again so we don't get this? We're in Detroit. We got, I got Bibles all in my house. There's 100 Bibles in here right now. Guys, there are people today who are literally risking their life to say they're a Christian. Do you understand that? We support people right now. Matthew has visited individuals. You know who are to, the Herman. They have to be careful of how they talk about Christ. Do you understand that, family? Look what he says here. He says, let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. So you talk about, see, when, you, when you're teaching, you know, people, people get a little nervous when you're always coming fire and brimstone, right? But imagine you're going through what you're going through, and verses like, oh, man, it's going to be all right. Man, sorry. All the comfort. The guy writes a letter and says, it's hard. But guess what? I want to make it really clear. You need to go out and be with Jesus and be willing to be ridiculed and abused and sacrificed and murdered just like your Savior. Oh. Oh. No hug? No, I know it's hard. I mean, think about that. Think about what what the author is saying to people who are in it, who are in it, guys. It says, bearing the disgrace he bore. Now, let me just say, with the Savior like Jesus, this is probably, he's saying basically, you have this great Savior, so how shall you then live? Look at this. He says, oh, you think, what motivates him to, to the author to say this? I think two things. Either 
the fear of apostasy, right? So throughout, throughout the uh, New Testament, in these different books of the Bible, if you're reading your Bible, there's different books. And what you see throughout is the, the authors are kind of these short letters. And these short letters are to encourage the people who are Christians now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, to, man, just hold on and, and, and don't renounce your faith because this is not a figment of our imagination. This is not some hobby that we're doing. This is not some self-help opportunity so we can just cope through life. This man actually historically like was born. He he grew up, he did miracles, he died and was murdered for your sin and my sin, and then he rose from the dead because that's the fact, because he rose to validate that he actually is God, you actually need to now reorient everything you thought about life to this guy. So, 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 so the, the, the letters are kind of like, man, I know sometimes Satan can fool you and me to start just kind of having a lure of the world. Like, no, yeah, yeah, I won't, I, okay, I'm a Christian, but man, I love the, the world. It's really fun. I love the stuff of the world. He says, no, 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 no. Don't let the world lie to you. Don't renounce your faith. Don't give up. That's the tenor of the epistles. Don't give up. Be a persevering saint, right? But I think there's another piece here that was interesting to me as I was studying and praying. I don't think it was just about don't renounce your faith. I think he's actually trying to encourage them, hey, you're being too quiet. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a defensive thing. I don't think he's like, oh, no, 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 don't leave Jesus. I think he's like, why aren't you sharing your faith more? I'm going to prove that in a moment. I think he's saying, hey, guys, if this is our Savior, if he did that, guess what? Why are you being ashamed of him? You got to go outside to the camp with Jesus. You need to identify with him. People need to see you and see Jesus and say, oh, you love him. There need to be a ramification of your devotion to Christ. You need to get out there and quit being scared because this is true. He is our Savior. That's my, that's my thesis. Let's see, let's see what the scriptures say and let's see if it's true. I'm proposing it's not just apostasy. This is an evangelistic push for you and me to say, let's quit sitting on our bottles. But he's saying you need to go out there and give it all for Jesus because he gave it all for you. I'm convinced of it. He's saying the insular Christians family, you and me, who are afraid to, can you imagine they're afraid to draw attention to their distinct Christian, Christian message, right? He's saying, no, no, don't keep the gospel to yourself. Maybe I'm the only one who've had that opportunity where I, I could have preached the gospel, but man, I didn't feel like there was a good upside for me, so I kind of chilled out. It's easy, right, to, to preach the gospel to someone when someone says, oh, you're a Christian? And they kind of like Christianity. And you go, yeah, I'm a Christian. You start quoting verses and stuff. That's, that's easy. Right? You ever had that? You were scared. You weren't going to tell them. But God had to expose you. Wait, you a Christian? Yeah, I am. You like that? You like that? Cool. I really am a Christian. You, you know, now you're really Christian. Right? Notice this. Notice, and these are a couple tidbits. It's interesting that he says, um, he says, go outside the camp, bearing his disgrace. And in verse 12, talking about being holy through his blood, I think it's interesting talking about the blood, that the sense of his blood was not residential. I think that the whole camp piece, he's trying to say his blood isn't residential to the camp, but that I love that he goes outside the camp and says you're holy through his blood. And the sense that, that his blood is curing more than just the camp people, but all the people. And the second little note I want us to see is that we don't go, in this text here, I love he says, go to Jesus, in a sense, not, not going to Jesus to get him and pull him back into the camp, right? 
That's not what he's saying. But it's, it's, it's you going out to Jesus because that's where he lives, outside the camp. That in essence, I propose the implication is, is that to get Jesus, you have to be outside the camp. That means you might get imperial law. You might get killed. Why give you life in such a way? Remember the thesis I gave you and see what it says. What does this mean practically and why give your life in such a way? Look what he says in verse 14. He tells you to go outside the camp, bearing that disgrace, being ridiculed, being misunderstood, looking dumb, not getting your career the way you want it, or with all the things you've thought and you've, and you've hoped for. Why? For here, verse 14, family, we do not have an enduring city. We don't have an enduring city here, but we are looking for the city that is to come. You hear what he does? He says the reason why he's asking you to do that, the reason why he's looking at you and me, and he said, Eric, I know it gets hard, man. You, you see the stuff. You're like, why can't I just have the stuff and all this and Jesus? He says, you can settle for that, but guess what? And, I, and I'm gracious, but you're going to miss out on all that I have for you because you are putting your focus in a city that's not going to endure. And there's a city that will be glorious, that he's prepared for you and me. He's like, but you've got to believe that by faith. And you got to move in light of that. This is what the scripture is saying. This is, this is um, man, this is one of those things like, you know, you know, lying in the sand. Like, what are you going to do with your life? This is, this is really an issue, guys, of identity, right? New life, right? I mean, you, you know, I mean, people buy houses in our community a lot. You know, we've bought houses. Think about it. You buy a house. You know, you go, you go, you're looking at the house, you get in, you get the keys, and you know, the floor is dirty. You know, every house you buy, why they got like, you know, purple polka dots and pink, pink paint? Why is it crazy? You know, carpet on the wall. You know what I'm saying? Why is it crazy? Why is every house crazy when you get it? You know? Right? Very rarely do you get a house and you're like, that's what's up, just pull it in and put your clothes out. You're like, man, what they was thinking? Right? In the right. And then you go in, and you're like, okay, well, guess what? Somebody used to own this house, right? This old house, but now it's mine. There's a new owner. And now I clean it up. And I I look and go, no, 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 that paint doesn't work here. It's 2017, baby. We're going to put some new paint up. And we get, you know, nice windows. You know what I'm saying? And you say, man, that that stove don't even work. You got to get a nice stove. And you, you hook the house up, right? You know, we, we do that because what you, what you, in essence, what you're saying is that this old house has a new owner. And because it has a new owner, it has a new identity. Right. And so when people see this house, I remember when, when we bought our house, I remember uh, our house was firebombed um, a few years ago. And I don't want to try and dispel, dispel Detroit. Detroit is our city, and I love our city, all right? So it's not like, ooh, Detroit's scary. No, it is what it is. Simple people do stuff like this in the suburbs everywhere. So house was firebombed. Uh, but I remember when we moved in, I wanted the people in the community to know there was new owners here. So if you want to firebomb them, they gone. There's new owners now. You don't firebomb me. I ain't do nothing to you. You see what I'm saying? New owner. New identity. We, we built a garage. We did, we did certain things. Guess what? That's what happens in the spiritual life, guys, with you and me. It's God, you know, we are walking with the Lord and before the Lord, and we're, we're kind of this, these old shells, and Satan is our, he's our master, 
And then what God does is he saves you. And he says, guess what? I'm going to kick out the old tenant, Satan, who is your master, and I'm going to take a residence. And, and what happens, well, sanctification is in all this prodding and this conviction that you're feeling and things that happens in your life and all the stuff that's going on in our life right now where Satan is trying to derail you. All it is is God trying to clean the house. He's trying to take, he's saying, I'm a new owner, and so we're going to do a new paint job. We're going to put nice windows in here. We're going to hook this thing up. That's what's going on. You have a new identity, and Satan wants to spend a lot of his time making you think you have the same identity, making you think that you got to keep the house the same way, and you don't have to. This is an identity issue. To say, no, you identify with Christ. He is the new owner. He it's a new honor. Look at the scripture verses that, that, that appeal to this in Hebrews. Verse 22 of chapter 12, it says, but you have come to Mount Zion. Let these verses just wash your mind in Christ. You've come to Mount Zion. This is what's happened to you and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in a feastal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Chapter 10, verse 34, for you, you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. That's, that's identity talk. You realize, oh, I, I can, I'm living a different way because I belong to a different person and I have a new place where I live. You see that? This, this is the Lord trying to get it in us, get in us, live different. You, you're a different person. God has made you new. Verse 25 of chapter 11, choosing rather, one of my favorite verses, I love this, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. This is him talking about, about Moses. With the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I love that text. There. You know why? Because I love it doesn't make light of sin. I love that it makes it clear and it keeps it real that actually sin is pleasurable. So the whole, so I don't, I don't, I don't do the, you know, sleight of hand to unbelievers. Hey, come to God because it's all happy and daffodils, and sin is so miserable. They're like, well, I like sin, right? So I don't play that game because we look dumb saying that because sin is pleasurable. That's not our, that, that's not our argument. Our polemic is not that sin so far, you know, you're gonna be crying all day sinning, and then God, you're just smiling all day. Actually, I would say it's the opposite. But actually, it seems like the polemic here is that he was rather he would rather be mistreated with God. That's not pleasurable. And to miss the pleasures of sin, why? Because he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to a, a, a certain reward, a greater reward, a reward later. You see that family? Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Even our Savior himself testified and did this first. He told the story first so we could retell the story. That Jesus himself said, you know what, man, I'm freaking out. I'm about to go get murdered. But you know what? I can do this because there's a great, there's a, there's a greater, there's, a, there's joy set before the cross. There's something that's going to happen. That I'm going to be validated. I'm validated as king. My kingdom will be coming. And he was able to, because of that, endure the cross. The scriptures say. See that? Here's what the point is. Now, there's a lot, and it's hot in here. Don't get the air on. Don't miss the point. Here's the point. The point here, to them then, but can I, just, can I, can I move from first century to now? But this, you can say the first century, they, they had to think about this too. The point is that Christ did not die to make Detroit a paradise for you now. 
We have to stop as the people of God in this place. I don't know about you, but in this place, quit trying to make heaven on earth and get mad when it doesn't happen. That's a lie from Satan. This is not heaven. This is a decreated place that will be newly created by Christ, but it has not happened yet. And that's why you have a cat descending onto our basketball field with a gun. Because this water is jacked up and it needs Christ. He died so he would stop trying to make our private paradises here. And there's something that happens when that takes hold of you. When it takes hold of you that, oh, and you know what? We got to do lamenting. We got to go, man, I really wanted that stuff. There, there needs to be lamenting going on and repentance and confession. But man, what happens when we get a hold of that truth that this is not our home in that sense? But we are here to proclaim Christ, to love. And I'm not saying you don't get to enjoy stuff. You, don't, you, you know that's not, how, that's not our theology. I want you to enjoy stuff. I want you to hook your house up, do all that stuff. But man, you guys know what I'm talking about. When you find yourself caring more about all the stuff you're going to do and accomplish now, but not for Jesus. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? With your careers and your families and your friends and your vacations and your houses and your cars and your boats. You know what I'm talking about. When we're thinking about how do I map out my life where I can have a little discomfort, but not too much because I really want a ball. Right? I really want to have a little heaven now. And God said, I gave it to you in the Holy Spirit. So you know what? I'm praising God that Caitlin's okay. But I'm not surprised all the drama that happens in his body. Because he wants to, Satan, derail you. He wants you to say, I'm just tired. This is the third time this has happened. I'm tired of it. I'm not buying a house. I'm tired. of the fourth time I've had an argument with that person. I'm leaving the church. I'm tired of this. Every time I try to do this thing, it doesn't happen, so I'm done. And Satan's in the corner. He's going, got you. You know, I, I did the marriage. Um, man, I'm getting old. It was yesterday? No, it was two days ago. And, um, you know, it was, a, it was a beautiful thing, this whole issue of identity. I just love, there's something that is so cool, it's funny to me, because whenever I do a wedding, I love how the, 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 the beautiful bride comes down, and the dad comes down, and they stand there, and everyone's in awe, and we kind of stand in there, and there's a, a future hobby, and then I say, you know, who will give this woman to this man? And the dad says, his wife, my, the, the mother's name, and I will. And I love that I'm still realizing Guys really have no clue what they're saying at that point. The dad has no clue what he's saying. Because at that point, I say, sit down, and I'm through with him. Right? He, has, he is inconsequential to the rest of the service. Do you know why? Because when he said, her mother and I, what he, what he basically said was that this woman who had my identity no longer has my identity.
at that point, that woman is going to be tied to that man. And her identity is now in another person. And in the same way, Christ is saying, when you give your life to him, Although Satan wants to, you know, sometimes when you get married, you watch the woman a lot of times, they'll like write their wrong name down, right? Because they forget, actually, you are us now, you know? Or they'll respond, somebody call and say, hey, is Mrs. Russ in? And she's like, oh, no, she lives in Cleveland. Because <laughs> you forgot. You married now. I think that's us sometimes. We forget who we are. We forget that God has bought you with a price. We forget the joy of, of, of being, you know what? James said it so well, man, there is something beautiful when you're just obeying God. And you know before the Lord, you don't have all the gifts and you don't have all the accolades and you don't have all the stuff, but you know before the end of the day, I fought for Christ. There's something, there's something beautiful about that, of knowing that your identity is in him. Oh, if we would just understand our identity in Christ. Then we wouldn't treat this age like a paradise. I mean, think about it. When you go to a hotel room, do you go in a hotel room and, and start putting up drapes? You know what I'm saying? Oh, man. Do you, you go in a hotel room with, you know, Home Depot bare paint? Talking about, I don't like these walls. I'm here two days. Do you do a makeover of a Marriott room? That's what we look like in this age. We in the hotel room, staying there for a brief moment to accomplish a purpose. And we in there painting and stuff. And God like, why are you painting? You're supposed to be out here doing the purpose. Why are you building drape? What you, what you building a table for for a hotel room in a Marriott? They got a coffee table. You see what I'm saying, saints? I don't mean to yell. You know how I am. Look what it says in verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Oh, I just, I just love you, and I just want myself, and I want you to hold me accountable, and I'll hold you accountable to just seize this, and I have God just allowed to just drink in what God is saying to the people as he's encouraging him, even to death. Give it all. And he says, hey, do this through, he says, through Jesus. Therefore, he says, continually offer. I want to propose, and this is what he said. Now, look, look, at, look how he says this. This is where I would say the interpretive key is. He said, let us go then with him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we look for the city that has come. Therefore, or through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. So he's now saying, based on what I've said, those facts, therefore, offer Praise to God, a sacrifice of praise. Now, look, some theologians think that these are two different things, offering praise and then also proclaiming God's name. You know what? I totally disagree. And there's a ton that agree with me, but I totally disagree. You see what he's saying? This is called called apposition. This is like what it means to offer a sacrifice of praise. So in in some of your translations, if you pull out the ESV, I even think it says... Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise that is, right, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Do you see what he's saying there? 
He's saying, hey, I want you to understand that Jesus was outside the camp for you and me. I want you, and me, I want you to go outside the camp with Jesus. And the reason why you go outside the camp with Jesus, what it's going to look like, is you're going to proclaim Christ. When you do that, you are necessarily going outside the camp. When you let people know that you identify with Christ. Do you see that? I want you to see it now. I want you to have conviction. Let me read it again. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy. This is what Jesus did. Just like Jesus, go outside the camp bearing that disgrace. Okay, why? Because we have a city that's going to not fail, but that is forever. Verse 14. Therefore, because of all that, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. What does look? That is to openly profess his name. And then there's part two, verse 16, to do good. Unashamed witness is what he's saying. I'm proposing to you, this is him, and that's why I think the main point is not, hey, don't be, a, don't be an apostate, but hey, man, you're muting your prophetic, your prophetic witness. You're not proclaiming Christ. No one likes discreet adoration, right? What I mean by that, who really likes discreet adoration? If somebody like you, don't you want to know it? Don't you want to know it? Have you ever somebody just walk past you? I mean, maybe I'm just, this is how I am, but people walk past you three, four years, say nothing to you. And then one day tell them about, man, I loved you all those years. <laughs> Why ain't say nothing? Why you ain't, why you ain't say, every, right? God made us like that. The most, the most, uh, the, the, the shyest person in this room wants someone to say, I like you, man. I love what you did there, bro. Sis, that was cool when you did that. Everybody loves to have someone acknowledge that they have value, purpose, and worth. Everybody. And guess what God is saying? Don't be silently adoring me. Don't be showing your indebtedness in the personal quietness of your prayer closet alone. It's one thing to express your indebtedness to God. It is a whole other thing to allow other people to know how much he means to you. That's where you separate the men and the women from the boys and girls. When you're willing to say, I love Jesus and I want you to know it. And I want you to know it. And I'm going to proclaim that to you. And guess what's going to happen? You're going to be outside the camp. And people are going to go, she talked too much. He talked too much. Why are you always talking about Jesus? Well, he, who do you think he is? Who do you think she, Who knows? Maybe everybody's going to come to Christ and you're not going to have any issues. But I, I doubt it because the Bible already said, if we take this to heart, you're going to have issues because people are going to misunderstand. You know why? Because the world does not like Christ. It ain't about you. Verse 16, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So he says, Proclaiming Christ, but also family, doing good to other people. And and notice, this doesn't secure your redemption. Your your redemption is secure in faith, by faith. What this is saying, it says it pleases God. You see the difference? You're saved. But man, it's a beautiful fruit of your salvation. Right? I was just thinking about my kids. I'm always amazed at how... And if you have kids, I mean, you know this happens all the time. My kids come from any place. If they haven't been with me for an hour, they'll come in, and they always come in with a report. You know, they'll come in. I mean, first thing, they don't even say hi, Daddy, sometimes. 
come in, door opens up. Hey, Dad, hey, we just found a turtle. Turtle, we named him. Da, 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 da. Hey, son, can I have a hug? Hey, Dad, hey, man, score three goals and two assists. Hey, hi. <laughs> hey, Dad, we did it. I mean, it's always, hey, Dad, I was just, we was at Miss Betty's and we painted this and we did this. It was so cool. Oh, you, I can't wait to show you. I got a present for you, but I can't tell you what it is yet. Right? All day. Reports, reports, reports. Right? All day. Why? They're, not, they're never coming into my office going, am I still your son? Am I your daughter? Do you still love me? No. See, that relationship's so tight. God has blessed us with a good friendship. They're just, they're just blossoming in that. When you have a good friendship, they're like, hey, Dad, let me tell you what happened today. Oh, you see what I'm saying? God's heart is he wants to have such a jubilant relationship with us that this isn't, this isn't brain surgery for us. That we're not like, oh, I got to share my faith. Oh, my goodness. But that we're like, oh, Dad, I just want to talk about Dad because he's so good to us. You see what I'm saying? So, so the work of component, I just want to make sure, you know, the work component can be interesting in our world because uh, we can malign the importance of works in evangelicalism. But man, the Bible is clear that God is exalted when we honor him and obey him. And he uses this word generous giving here, koinonias. It's interesting that he would talk about giving and sharing with others, and he would use that word koinonia, which is fellowship partnership. Right? It's interesting that he would use that word, the sense of, of, of pouring out and giving of yourself and doing good to other people, that you want to model the divine character of Christ, be a giver of your life. So the conclusion is, so to ask these questions and think about them. Are you outside the camp? Are you outside the camp, man? Are you, what does it look like for, for you to be out there proclaiming a gospel? Do you like the lure of comfort? Are we comfortable, Macav? Or are we pressing hard? Lord, this week, are we praying? Are we, are we fasting? Lord, would you, would you allow three people, by God's grace, to, to come to our local community this or to come to service, Lord Jesus? I mean, it's, it's, like, it's, it's, our, it's like it's God on our hearts. Mission, seeing, seeing more exaltation of Christ, seeing people become ministers of the gospel. Are you building for a city that is not lasting or a city that which is to come? We, you know, we have been pinned, and it's okay. It is what it is. It's true. A lot of type A personalities in here. A lot of successful, go-getting people. Man, we need to really be careful that we're not building our own kingdom. I'm, I'm glad at all the success and the things we're doing, but guys, they are not Jesus. Everything you are doing, if it is not an avenue where you strategically get an opportunity to proclaim Christ, you really need to consider why are you doing it? And you go, well, well I, I can't be a, do this. No, of course you can for Christ. Take, step outside the gate. When you got that person in there, you know, like what does it look like for you to consider how to share Christ with them? What is your road? What is your road? Our roads can be different, family. So I'm not, this is not about any one of us saying, here's what your road needs to look like. Please don't hear that. Your road can be different, but can it be radical? Can it be radical, everybody in here? 
Your role can be radical for Christ. Healthy pneumatology, that's the study of the spirit. I tell you, I understand that God gives us evidence of grace. He gives you grace and like, he gives us different folds of faith. I understand that. But man, I would be lying to you if I didn't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We look at other Christians, we go, man, that Christian, I don't know, man, he's just so, he's so sold out. It's almost like I can't be like that. That's a wrong understanding of the spirit. You get the same Holy Spirit he got. You can, the, 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 the most amazing Christian that you know of, you can be like that. And more. See, I don't think we really believe that. Does anyone here don't believe that by God's grace, if God wanted to, if he wanted to, you could be the next Billy Graham. Right here. Right here in this room. We don't settle. Why are we settling? These guys could be the next missionaries all over the world. Why are we not thinking that? Why are we not pouring into our people and saying, hey, you don't do like. You should, man, you could be minister. Where do you want to minister? Where in the world do you want to proclaim Christ? You hear me, guys? The next college ministers, accountants, entrepreneurs for Christ. A mom that gets to know her kids, all this is, and families and preaches the gospel to them, which allows the... This, the gospel proclamation being a staple in our kids' lives. These are all opportunities and ways to have a road that, man, just says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I mean, think of all the places in the Bible that talks about not being ashamed of Christ. After Christ said it, not me, I'll deny you. Think about it. Think about you guys taking a coworker and inviting them for a drink and plainly saying, hey, you know, I've enjoyed working with you in our relationship, and I've been, we've been working together for a bit, and, man, I don't think I know much. I don't know if we know much about each other. And, man, I just want to hear, you have a spiritual, you know, spiritual background? It's after work. What, are you scared that that person, I can't believe you did that, and they're talking to him again? So be it. You gave that person an opportunity to hear about the Savior of the world, Hey, and it risks your reputation. And if they don't like you anymore and they avoid you for the rest of your time at your job, so what? Are you willing to be ridiculed like that? Are you willing for that person then to go tell other people? I thought we were just going to have a drink. And then he invited me and started talking to me about Jesus. I can't believe he did that. <laughs> Are you willing to be ridiculed like that? And then a rumor gets around your office, that you're that guy, you're that girl, right? Let's go outside the camp where Jesus is misunderstood, where he's ridiculed, where he's left for dead. It honors God, and it prepares us for a city that is to come. Prepare for the city that is to come, family. Bow your heads, please. Lord, would you give us that grace? Would you allow it not to be a fleshly, guilt conviction, but a Holy Spirit-inspired conviction right now, Lord, that we would be willing to give our lives to make you known. Would you allow MacAv to bust through the seams so that there will be worshipers? Holy Spirit, would you raise up missionaries from this church? Would you raise up men and women who go all over the world to tell people that there is hope in Christ? Lord Jesus, would you raise up community leaders and politicians 
and ministers and pastors and elders and deacons from this local body all over the nation to proclaim the goodness of Christ? Would you give us the grace, holy God, to be outside the camp and to adore you while we're outside the camp? We can't do this in our own strength, Lord. We don't want to just do works in the flesh. We want to be empowered by the Spirit. Holy Spirit, empower us. In Jesus' name, amen.